And you're listening to AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's Brett with you on your Wednesday afternoon. Glad to be with you here on today's program. Again, our phone number, as always, is 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Open phone lines the entire hour as we do not have any guests lined up for today's show. Although, technically, I guess Robert Pilot would be a guest. We'll talk to him during the last segment and get a preview of his show coming up at 5 o'clock for Pilot's Progressive Party, the Triple P, as Robert has a lot of great content. Content lined up for his show coming up right after mine. Happy to welcome in Patrick Lilia, our new producer here at AM950, his first day on the production board. Patrick, you survived the last hour. Hopefully you can get through this one as well. <laughs> Pressure's on. No, just kidding. How you doing in there today, Patrick? I'm doing really well. It's actually going a little bit smoother than I thought it would. Well, that's always a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah, things have gone smooth and can't ask for more when you're the production guy on the board. So uh, in the news today, i got to bring up kind of a lighter story before we get into some of the heavier topics. So we already do know what some of the Super Bowl abads will be coming up on February 3rd when the Super Bowl takes place. I'll be a little hesitant, though, to predict that the Vikings will be in the Super Bowl, although I do think they actually have a chance to beat the 49ers on Sunday. And if they do beat the 49ers, actually it's Saturday when they play them, if they do beat the 49ers on Saturday, man, I would love to see a Vikings at Packers NFC Championship. And then from there, maybe they beat the Packers and go to the Super Bowl. All right, I'm getting way ahead of myself on that one. But should the Vikings go to the Super Bowl, we, of course, would get to watch a whole lot of Super Bowl ads. And guess who is going to be advertising during the Super Bowl? Well, the Trump campaign has already announced that they are going to be making a $10 million ad buy on Super Bowl advertising. In fact, they've already disclosed that they are going to run the ad early in the game when typically you have more viewers. So, yay, get ready to see all those Keep America Great messages early in the Super Bowl. Guess who also bought a Super Bowl ad? Michael Bloomberg, the guy who still is not going to be participating in any of the Democratic debates. He also had a $10 million ad buy. It sounds like he might be buying two 30-second ads, however. And apparently the content, not surprisingly, will not focus on himself whatsoever and what he would bring to the table if he were president. Nope, it'll just be a complete anti-Trump message. So, yay, that's what you have to look forward to when the Vikings play in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I know I said when instead of if, but yeah, I'll go out on the limb. I think they can beat the 49ers and the Packers, but by no means am I putting any money on that. I got burned back in 98 when they lost in the NFC Championship. All right, let's get on to the actual news for today, though, and I want to continue our conversation about Iran that we had yesterday during the first half of our program and start off with this little nugget of a survey that was released today. Few voters can actually locate Iran on a map. Less than a third of registered voters are able to correctly point to Iran on an unlabeled world map, according to a morning consult survey. Now, in the people who took the survey's defense, I don't think I could point out where Iran is on a map. I think the better question would be, can you actually point to the area where it is on a map? That I could for sure do. I could probably get to at least one of the countries that borders where Iran is, but in terms of pointing out specifically where it is, I might not have very much luck with that. Although I do know, in terms of land area, it is one of the bigger countries in the Mideast. So, kind of depressing, though, uh, that nobody can exactly point out where it is. But I would like to know if people could actually point out relatively where it is on a world map. Could they actually get within, like, a, a few countries of where it actually is located on a map? And then related to Iran, got to break up uh, or bring up something that happened last night on Facebook because what could go wrong when you talk politics on Facebook with somebody? So a little backstory on this. A buddy of mine who typically doesn't post about politics uh, basically put up a post on his Facebook page that said, thanks 45 for getting us into another war. 
And I commented on the feed saying, yeah, it's unbelievable that this is happening in light of the Afghanistan papers being released just last month, which, by the way, recommend going and reading those. I actually did read through those entire papers the other day. Uh, Not the full detailed version, just what was in the Washington Post article. You can go through and actually read the supporting documents, but that would probably take hours and hours. And it is unbelievable to read some of the content that actually is in the Afghanistan papers when they're talking about how opium has become such a big deal in Iran, or not Iran, Iraq, rather, or Afghanistan. I'm not even getting my countries right. It's Afghanistan where opium was a big trading deal, and basically the drug trade was actually what was really driving the Afghan economy. And we basically made everyone angry in that country when we burned their opium fields. They also had written about how the supposed police forces that we were training in Afghanistan, eh, basically these guys had no interest in actually becoming members of the police. They just kind of wanted their money and then they would end up deserting us. And of course, we also had no idea who our enemies or our allies are in Afghanistan. So kind of digressing there. But that was what was in the Afghanistan papers. And I commented on my friend's page saying, yeah, it's unbelievable we're talking about going to Iran when we just had these Afghanistan papers released. And the fact that, well, Iran would look, or Afghanistan would look like a cakewalk compared to what we would actually do if we went into Iran with how complicated that war would be, simply because Iran is obviously a much bigger country and much more militarily advanced. So, made that comment on the feed, and then of course, a few minutes later, I get a notification that I get a right-wing troll that comes in and comments and says, well, blame Obama for giving $151 million to the Iranian government. Thanks, Obama. And I decided to reply to this. I normally don't do this on Facebook. I don't get suckered into these stupid political conversations. Even though I host a political talk show, I'm generally really good about Facebook, about never going on and talking about politics because, well, nothing really ever gets Nothing good comes from that, and overall social media is a very toxic environment, but this time I decided to actually go down that rabbit hole. So I brought up in terms of this supposed $151 billion payment to the Iranians explaining what this actually was. Now, if you're not familiar, what this actually was when we supposedly paid the Iranians $151 billion, which, by the way, was not the case whatsoever, what this actually was was that with sanctions that were placed on Iran, they basically could not sell their oil on the international market. So instead, what they decided to do was that China and India and other Asian countries would basically temporarily buy the Iranian oil. So in other words, what they did was that, all right, Iran would give China, India, and whatever other countries their oil. And in return, what countries and companies in China and India would do is that they would pay the money that they would normally give to Iran during a normal transaction. They would put these into an escrow account held at banks around the world. And Iran did not have access to any of this money because of the sanctions. And that money totaled anywhere from about 50 to one. $150 billion. And by the way, that $150 billion is likely a high estimate according to a lot of independent observers. In fact, some of them think it's actually well below $50 billion. But to draw an analogy, essentially what it would be is that let's say we have Eric in there who's watching uh, Patrick produce and watching over his shoulder. Let's say Eric is trying to sell his car But because we don't like Eric and we think he's a bad guy, we put sanctions on Eric saying, no one is allowed to buy your car. Yep, Eric's nodding his head in there. No one's allowed to buy Eric's car. So Eric still wants to get rid of his car, though. So what we do instead, by the way, chime in if you want, Eric. Oh, yeah, I'm saying, did you actually do this? Because I've been having trouble selling my car. Maybe we actually did put sanctions on Eric. Yeah, I think we did put sanctions on Eric. So... Eric still wants to get rid of his car and maybe eventually make some money. So what we would do instead, let's say Patrick, our other producer, says, all right, you know what, I'm going to go buy Eric's car. But because, due to sanctions, Patrick is not allowed to pay Eric, the money that Patrick would normally pay Eric actually goes into an escrow account that would be held at an international bank, and Eric would not have access to that money until he improves his behavior. That's essentially what happened when we when we released this money that 
basically the Iranians were owed from selling their oil to countries like China and India. So hopefully that makes sense if you're listening. By the way, Eric's not a bad guy. We actually don't have any sanctions that were placed on him, although he's not convinced in there with the trouble. Yeah, he's my in. behavior's not going to improve. <laughs> Your behavior's not going to improve. So, yes, those sanctions will be left on Eric. But anyways, that's what actually happened in terms of this Iran nuclear deal. And when you often hear those right-wing talking points saying, well, look at all this money that Obama paid the Iranians. That's not the case whatsoever. Again, it was actually money that was owed to the Iranians because they sold oil to different countries and companies around the world, and the money that they should have been paid was being held in an escrow account until they so-called improved their behavior or reached a deal like we had with the Iran nuclear deal, where if they promised to stop their nuclear program, then they would get access to this money that they are owed for selling oil to other countries and companies. So hopefully that makes sense, and that's the comment I ended up making on that Facebook feed. Although, probably for the better, though, as soon as I was going to press send on that, my friend had deleted his post entirely, so no one ended up seeing it, which was probably for the better because, yeah, I don't need to get suckered into a political debate on Facebook because... (laughs) There's nothing good that's ever going to come from that. We're at 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Going to take a little bit of an early break, but when we come back, I want to talk about this larger question about why was Iran actually trying to build nuclear weapons in the first place? Because often we sometimes look at foreign leaders of countries we don't like and think of them as cartoon characters or comic book villains. That's not accurate at all. And we're going to talk more about that up next here on the program. Tom Hartman here telling you that solar energy isn't just for environmentalists. Switching to all energy solar is actually perfect for reducing your carbon footprint while also saving money on your monthly electric bill. The fact that solar panels cause no earth-harming emissions while it's producing energy is a bonus. Who in the world could object to that? But they can also help you save money month after month for decades. And they do it with a clean footprint. So go green and start saving money today by visiting allenergysolar.com. Hey, it's Brett from the 4 p.m. show for Zero Res. And I want to congratulate you on surviving the holidays. But now what about that holiday mess? Don't just make a New Year's resolution about cleaning your carpets. Call Zero Res now for their holiday hangover sale where you can get two rooms Zero Res clean starting at the insane price of just 99 bucks. But you have to mention AM950 when you call. That's 952-ZERO-RES or ZeroResMinnesota.com and then mention AM950. ZERO-RES, spell it backward or forward, it spells the same. Being in the Army National Guard is about more than just serving your country. It's about being there for your community when your neighbors need you most. The Army National Guard makes college affordable. Serving part-time lets you attend school full-time while you take advantage of education benefits that can help you graduate debt-free. If a civilian career is your goal, serving part-time allows you to work at a full-time job. The skills, qualities, and contacts you'll develop in the Guard can open doors to a great civilian career. Want to serve but worried about being away from friends and family? Part-time service in the Army National Guard allows you to serve close to home. Serving in the Army National Guard lets you have the life you want while you enjoy the many benefits of serving your community and nation. You owe it to yourself to learn more about how the Army National Guard can fit into your life. Visit NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Minnesota Army National Guard. Aired by the Minnesota Broadcasters Association and this station. The number one source of the Twin Cities gay scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities Gay Scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ Media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. When you need legal assistance, let the Minnesota Lawyer and Referral Information Service help you find the right attorney. It's a new and enhanced program of the Hennepin and Ramsey County Bar Associations. They have professional, experienced referral counselors who can connect you to vetted attorneys practicing in employment law, divorce, bankruptcy, DUI, and much more. Take the stress out of finding a lawyer. Call 612-752-6699 or go to mnlawyerreferral.org. The right call for the right lawyer.
back on the 4 o'clock show here at 420 with Brett, also with Patrick and Eric on the program today over there in the production booth. Hey, by the way, a shout out there to the Minnesota Lawyer Referral Program. If you are looking for a lawyer or maybe just questioning if you actually even do need a lawyer for some legal challenges you are facing, highly recommend them because don't just find a lawyer from a guy who's maybe listed on one of those park benches or when you see those billboards around town. Those always seem a little shady to me. So I would go with a thoroughly vetted attorney and they can help you out there at the Minnesota Lawyer Referral Program. Uh, find more information. You can find their advertisers page over at am950radio.com and find links and get some help if you run into some legal issues as they can answer all of your questions. All right, let's get back to Iran. So basically we've established what's happened in in the Iran nuclear deal, where again, in exchange for Iran stopping their nuclear program, we would basically give them the money that China and other countries had paid Iran for their oil. But again, the money that China had paid Iran for their oil was being held in an escrow account that Iran did not get access to until a future date. And again, that future date just happened to be when we reached the Iran nuclear deal, where Iran said, all right, well, well, we want access to our money, but in order to get access to our money, well, we got to dismantle our nuclear program. That's essentially what was in the Iran nuclear deal. But let's back this up even more because let's ask this fundamental question. Why was Iran even trying to build nuclear weapons in the first place? Because that's a question I think a lot of people gloss over when it comes to debating what's happening in Iran. Why were they even trying to build nuclear weapons? And to answer that question, let's back up even further and look at this at an even deeper level. And let's start off with this very simple question. Patrick and Eric, you guys can feel free to chime in on this question. But what do all politicians at any level in government, in any country in the world, any state in the U.S., what do they all have in common with each other? I don't care if they're Republicans or Democrats or Independents or if they're in the U.S., if they're in Britain, and they're, if they're in Afghanistan, if they're in China. What do they all have in common? You got they, an answer there, Patrick? They don't like losing. Exactly. You nailed it. Well, Patrick, quick on the uptake there for his first day. Good job there. But that's essentially it. Yeah, politicians want to stay in power. And it's important to point out that that's exactly what their motivation is. They're not like comic book villains or cartoon characters who are just evil and want to destroy the world. No, they're politicians. They're pragmatic and they're also very smart in their own way. Maybe not necessarily intellectually smart in the case of the current president of the United States, but at least smart in the sense in that he knows how to play a crowd and knows how to get people to support him. That's true of all politicians. They all have that in common. They all are very smart. They're pragmatic. And most importantly, they want to stay in power. So if we have that established, let's again ask that question. Why would Iran try to build nuclear weapons? Now, if your answer is, well, because they want to nuke the United States, that's a really dumb answer, by the way, because let's even run through that scenario. What would happen if Iran were to launch a nuclear weapon at either the United States homeland or even one of our military bases? What do you think would actually happen if Iran launched a nuclear weapon at us? Eric, looks like you have an answer for us in there. Oh, yeah. I was saying Iran would want a nuclear weapon because it's really the only guarantee that the U.S. doesn't launch attacks at your country. Exactly. You're getting a little ahead of where I was going. But essentially, yeah, you're exactly right. They don't want it because they want to have some sort of religious war and wipe the United States off the face of the planet. Because as you're kind of alluding to, Eric, yeah, if they were to actually nuke us, guess what would happen in retaliation? Well... And it wouldn't matter if the president of the United States was either the biggest war hawk or the biggest dove. What would happen? We would either nuke them back and wipe their country off the face of the earth, or at the very least, we would do whatever was in our power to basically eliminate the leadership of the Iranian government. That would be a best-case scenario for what would happen to Iran if they ever decided to nuke us. And again, going back to what's the main driver of a politician to stay in power? Well, guess what? It's awfully hard to stay in power if you're dead. Just a kind of fact of life right there. 
So, again, let's go back to that question. Why would Iran try to build nukes? And Eric hit the nail on the head right there. It's the only way they can actually have their own security against the United States. So, basically, they can go off and say, all right, United States, if you want to invade our country, we're going to threaten to use nuclear weapons. It's essentially deterrent, as Eric stated just a few minutes ago. So, again, that's why Iran was actually building nuclear weapons in the first place, and that goes to the Iran nuclear deal because, obviously, even though the Iranians are very unlikely to actually ever use nuclear weapons should they get them built, yeah, you overall probably still don't want a country to have nuclear weapons because, well, you risk them actually getting stolen, you risk someone hitting the wrong button, lots of scenarios that aren't good. So. For us to try to – the United States to try to get Iran to not have nuclear weapons, that's why we signed the Iran nuclear deal and placed sanctions on their country. And going back to what we were talking about earlier, we basically told Iran, all right, if you dismantle your nuclear program, we will give you the money that China and other countries were trying to pay you for your oil. And this largely worked because these sanctions that we had on Iran that prevented them from getting payment for the oil that we're selling – that they were selling actually had a very large effect on the Iranian economy. In fact, even up until we assassinated Soleimani, there were protests in the street in that country against the leadership of Iran because that country was going through a lot of economic turmoil. The overall people in that country were not happy with the way things were going. Then all of a sudden we go and assassinate Soleimani and guess what? Well, the country's kind of united uh, back together saying that, hey, well, uh, while economically we're not doing so well, well, they actually did assassinate one of our leaders. So that's essentially what happened. So, yeah, the sanctions were working. We had collapsed Iran's economy. We had this Iran nuclear deal in place, and it actually was hurting the economy until, well, we basically said, hey, if you dismantle your, nu your nuclear weapons, we'll give you this money that you had sold in the first place. Now, often we've heard talking points from white right-wingers talking about how, well, this $150 billion is being used to fund terrorists. Well, that claim is kind of dubious whether that's actually true or not. But even if it was true, even if some of that money actually was being used to fund terrorism, well, it still technically is their money. And by the way, some of that money Iran is using to so-called fund terrorism is also probably being used to fight terrorism as well. Because keep in mind with Soleimani, he was also very instrumental in actually helping to defeat ISIS. So a couple of key points to bring up there when we have this discussion about Iran. If you'd like to chime in, we're at 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. All right, coming up in the second half of the show, we're going to switch gears and talk about some local news as well, as we do have some news to pass along to you in terms of what's happening in the congressional races and also, is Minnesota actually going to lose one of our congressional seats? There's some data showing that maybe we actually could hang on to our 8th congressional district. We're going to have more on that in just a few minutes. But first, we're going to play our newscast from Public News Service here on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. The Public News Service daily newscast for January the 8th, 2020. I'm Mike Clifford. CNN reporting Iran launched more than a dozen missiles at two Iraqi bases that hold U.S. troops in what appears to be retaliation for the American airstrike that killed a top Iranian general last week. A U.S. official telling CNN there were no initial reports of any U.S. casualties, but an assessment of the impact is still underway. There are casualties among the Iraqis at the Al-Assad Air Base following the attack, according to an Iraqi security source. That number of casualties and whether individuals were killed or wounded was not immediately clear. A coalition including environmental groups greets the first day of Maryland's 2020 General Assembly today with a protest of the state's controversial plan to add toll lanes to busy highways in the Washington, D.C. metro area. Republican Governor Larry Hogan wants to widen and add toll lanes to Interstate 270 and part of the Capitol Beltway to relieve some of the worst traffic choke points in the region. But Brad German, with the group Citizens Against Beltway Expansion, or CABE, says the project won't relieve the traffic and will make it more expensive to travel on the roads. The whole business model is really designed to monetize congestion 
So it doesn't relieve congestion. It requires congestion on the road in order to create demand for paying these high tolls to escape it. Governor Hogan touts the $11 billion public-private project as the most economical way to improve roads in the region without having to raise taxes. I'm Diane Bernard. In a 2018 report, the U.S. Public Interest Research Group called Hogan's proposal a highway boondoggle. This is PNS. Small towns in Minnesota are scrambling to fill the void of national chain stores pulling out of rural areas. The impact of losing chain stores was especially felt when Shopco, which primarily served small communities, closed all of its locations last year. One of those stores was in Roseau. Community Development Director Todd Peterson says towns like his were already facing an uphill battle in attracting businesses. There are so very few um, chain stores that, that like to operate in small communities. So when you have one, you know, you kind of feel like, well, you, you've kind of made it. You know, you're, you're doing well. But Peterson says losing a discount retailer like Shopco makes it feel like taking a step backwards. He says it forces locals to drive nearly an hour to find the nearest box store. And he says it can also be a hindrance in attracting new residents. In addition to Shopco, Greater Minnesota also has lost stores operated by Herbergers, Sears, and Kmart. Mike Moen, Minnesota News Connection. And voting rights advocates are claiming victory after the state of Arizona agreed to make it easier for residents to exercise their right to vote. More on the story from Mark Richardson. The groups alleged the Arizona Secretary of State was violating the National Voter Registration Act by not updating voter registrations when Arizonans update the address on a driver's license. Sarah Barnum with the ACLU's Voting Rights Project says ADOT's license renewal system wasn't set up to automatically change addresses on voter registrations. When you changed your address online through the ADOT online services, there was very minimal information about voter registration and no real meaningful explanation that you had to take extra steps to update your voter registration. Barnum says the settlement is particularly important in a state like Arizona where a high percentage of voters use mail-in ballots. She says when voter registrations don't have a current address, the ballots are likely to be mailed to the wrong place. Congress approved the so-called Motor Voter Act back in 93, but advocates say it has taken Arizona 24 years in a federal lawsuit to fully comply with the law. I'm Mike Clifford for Public News Service. We are a member and we are listener supported. We're online at publicnewsservice.org. Taking prescription medication should not be a scary task. The staff at St. Paul Corner Drug makes certain you know everything about your prescription medication before you leave the pharmacy. Knowing what to expect and when and how to take your prescriptions gives you the confidence to safely take your medication and maintain good health. Should additional questions arise, we are here to help sort things out. St. Paul Corner Drug, pharmacy the way it should be at stpaulcornerdrug.com. Tom Hartman here for All Energy Solar. One of the myths about solar is that you save more if you wait, but waiting to switch can actually cost you more. While tax rebates make solar affordable, those rebates are often limited and decrease over time. So when you wait, you risk losing some of the incentives that make solar so easy to afford today. And besides, the sooner you get your All Energy Solar system, the sooner you reduce or even eliminate that high electricity bill. Make the switch today at allenergysolar.com. What kind of a jackass would let an animal pick their insurance? Did you really think a lizard could save you money on car insurance? Would you let a duck pick your health policy? Insurance can be a zoo, but this is ridiculous. What you really need is an insurance agent that isn't looking out for the insurance companies. You need Cheryl at Array, an independent agent with 30 years experience looking for the best rate possible. Quit monkeying around and call 763-504-3067. That's 763-504-3067 for Cheryl at Array, representing you, not the insurance company. Companies. With your AM 950 weather, this is Eric Nelson. Night will be cloudy, with temperatures rising to about 24. Thursday, a chance of freezing rain, with a high of 36 and the low around 16. Friday, mostly cloudy, with a high of 19 and the low of 3, while Saturday will be sunny, with a high of 14 and the low of 8. Is estate planning still on your to-do list, or are you overdue for an update? The new year is a great time to get going on that goal. Get started with Stroman Law in St. Paul. Call 651-571-2515 or visit stromanlaw.com. Back on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota coming up on 435 on your Wednesday afternoon. I heard the newscast talking about how uh, Shopco is basically closing all of their retail spaces, including 
some rural Minnesota cities that are going to be negatively affected. Monomen among the towns, uh, which is an hour from Bemidji. And yeah, it's overall really sad to see because my first radio job, I had a little experience with this, was in a small town in Iowa called Atlantic. And I remember hearing from our station owner when he was talking about how, yeah, Atlantic used to have a Kmart, it used to have a Sears, and there was also a third major retailer that was in town. Well, in about, I think it was 2002 or 2003, he said, basically within that span, they all left and they closed. And unfortunately, there's kind of a big retail desert down there. And those stores have been replaced by a gigantic Walmart that's now there in their town. And obviously, Walmart doesn't exactly pay good wages to its employees. So certainly it's sad to see. And unfortunately, as they brought up in that newscast as well, that means for a lot of people, rather than uh, shopping at local businesses in those small towns, they're probably going to shop at some of those regional centers like a St. Cloud or Detroit Lakes. So yeah, it's a massive problem that a lot of areas in rural America are experiencing, and certainly those Shopco stores closing is uh, not going to help with that. Let's go to the phone lines. we got Mark and Fridley who wants to chime on in. Hi there, Mark. Hi. Plus, uh, a significant number of Walmart employees are on food stamps and federal assistance programs, which is another way we subsidize the Walmart and the Walton family. Um, but I've got a question for the debate tomorrow that's very important. But first, I'm, I'm curious, with Trump's commercial, who's going to be paying for that? Is that going to be the Saudis, or is that going to be John Bolton's super PAC? Who do you think Bolton could be in on that, huh? Well, let me tell you something. There was a massive, right before this event happened, um, the Soleimani attack, there was a massive dump by WikiLeaks that involves John Bolton complicated to get into now but um if you want i can send you some information but a lot of this has to do with the significant uh amount of information and documents uh linking john bolton to cambridge analytica and that's why all of a sudden he wants to play nice with the democrats and if Hmm. anybody trusts this guy john bolton he threatened the lives of the children of United Nations inspectors that were investigating the uh, WMDs in Iraq, and that is documented. So this is another one of these phony Christian people. Yeah, well, there's never a war he hasn't liked either. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Right. This guy is an evil, bad, demonic dude. So mm-hmm. don't don't trust him. Now, here's the question that needs to be asked. And again, it's well, let's connect the if, dots here because at least it's being portrayed that he would potentially testify against Trump, basically because Trump was maybe not for getting in enough wars. But uh, go ahead, kind of connect the dots on how you think he might be connected to Trump. Well, has the United States been involved in a? Okay, the last time the United States officially declared war was. Mm. World War II. Unfortunately, All of these yes. other events, mm-hmm. Vietnam, uh, the Korean War, they were all under these false, phony, unconstitutional pretexts called authorization of use of military force. And we need to get rid of that. Obama is guilty of it. And I'm no, I've got a friend. His name is Matthew Rothschild. And he's out of Madison, Wisconsin. He was the owner and the editor of Progressive Magazine, if, you, if you're familiar with it. And he had to resign his position because he stated publicly as fact, which is obvious to anybody. And again, people have to understand how propaganda works. Propaganda helps people deceive themselves. But he started writing articles about war crimes during the Obama administration. Not only the Bush administration, but the Obama administration. Mm -hmm. And for that, he had to resign his position from the Progressive magazine. But um, we have not been involved in a CIA paramilitary counterintelligence involvement in South America, Central America, or the Middle East that has resulted well for the people we went there to save or protect their freedom. How's Libya doing? How's Afghanistan doing? How's Pakistan doing? How's Honduras doing? How's Venezuela doing? Um, How is Ecuador doing? And so 
we need to get away from that. And that's why the question that needs to be asked tomorrow night, was Donald Trump con- and, and Pompeo and Bolton, because he's involved in this too, even though he's supposed to be on the outs, um, they alerted nobody in the Congress, including the Gang of Eight, which is the Gang of Eight is comprised of the leaders, bipartisan leadership of the Intelligence, Judiciary, Armed Services Committees. And those are, those are the leaders, and those people are, as routine, are informed of these serious, serious events. They were neglected. The only person or country that got a heads up to that attack was the government of Israel and Benjamin Netanyahu. And so the question that needs to be asked is why did he not consult with the Gang of Eight prior to that? And I want to bring up a point about Pompeo, if I could, and that was during his PR stunt yesterday. He opened it up by saying, our thoughts and prayers are with the poor people of Australia, and he didn't say anything about climate change that caused what's happening in Australia. Mm. And he apologized to the people of Venezuela and the uh, socialist criminals that have taken, are trying to take over the government, which is the government that was duly elected by the people until we overthrew their democratically elected president and tried to install Trump Jr. in Venezuela, Guaido. And he also said something about Chinese and the human rights violations against the Muslims. He did not say anything about Puerto Rico, this good Christian. Puerto Rico is a yeah. territory of the United States. And he did not say our thoughts and prayers are once again with the people of Puerto Rico, and we're going to pledge to do everything we possibly can to help you, because he doesn't care. He doesn't care about those people. He's not a good person. Absolutely, and, and yeah, even just continuing with that, yeah, Puerto Rico still hasn't even recovered from the hurricane we had a couple of years ago, and then, of course, they were just hit by an earthquake. So, Mark, thanks so much for the call, phone call. Do appreciate it, and we'll uh, talk to you coming up on another day. But to expand on what Mark was saying, and this was another story I wanted to talk about today, that's what was written in the Star Tribune yesterday where they were reporting on this vote that took place in Beltrami County where it basically became the first Minnesota county to vote against allowing refugees to resettle there. It was on a 3-2 vote. By the way, if you want to go read that Star Tribune article, if for anything else, just to look at the photos from that article because... (laughs) Man, you want to uh, take a look at uh, grumpy, white, old men? It is just the ultimate stock photo of that. So I actually do recommend checking it out. Just uh, these uh, angry white guys in this photo. It's just words can't even describe it. I just recommend going and checking it out. But anyways, yeah, Beltrami County voted against allowing refugees to resettle there. Of course, that was because back in September, Donald Trump issued an executive order that required the agency to get explicit support from state and local governments in order to resettle refugees there. Now, where are these refugees largely coming from in Central America? And Mark was talking about it. They're coming from countries like Honduras and El Salvador and Guatemala, which are all countries that we have overthrown governments over the past few decades democratically elected governments that we, as the United States, overthrew because, well, they were either going socialist or they weren't going to be friendly towards American businesses. So just imagine what would happen if your local government or the United States government were to be overthrown because some other power deemed that your government was not friendly towards their business practices. Well, what would happen, your country or your state or your local municipality or whatever else you would be living in, it would, of course, be thrown into absolute chaos. And that's what we've seen happen in countries like Honduras and El Salvador and Guatemala. And that's why a lot of people from those nations are seeking refugee status in the United States because, well, we essentially went there and broke their countries. We created a mess and, well, basically we've told those countries, uh, clean it up yourselves. And, of course, people from those nations are now trying to come to the United States and are seeking refugee status. But there's a key statistic I want to bring up when it comes to refugees and immigrants. 
because we often hear an argument saying, well, immigration levels are the highest they've been in years and years. And if you look at the raw numbers, that actually is true. Uh, according to reports from 2018, we did have 45 million immigrants in this country compared to levels from looking at it here back in the 1970s and the 1980s when it was only about 15 million. But there's a key component that's missed when looking at those numbers. What percentage of the United States population is actually immigrants? Well, as of 2018, uh, the percentage of the population in the United States that was immigrants was about 14%. Guess what it was back in 1900 and 1890 and 1880 and 1870 when so many people had their relatives come through to the United States on those ships and check in at Ellis Island. Guess what percentage of the population was immigrants at that time? About 15 to 16%. Again, today, the percentage of the population that is immigrants is 14%, largely the same. That's a key stat that's actually not brought up often when it comes to the immigration debate. Now, of course, immigration actually did drop for a while in the early 20th, in the early 20th century, and that was largely due to doing a little history here when Congress passed the Emergency Quota Act, which, by the way, established national immigration quotas, where the quotas were based on the number of foreign-born residents of each nationality who were living in the United States as of 1910. Pretty horrible policy, and that's why immigration actually dipped quite a bit when we were down to only having about 6% of the population in, what was it, about 1950 that was uh, actually made up of immigrants. But even expanding on this conversation, too, uh, when your ancestors, if you're someone who's from European descent and you're talking about how when your ancestors came to the United States, they came through to Ellis Island, well, take a look at some of the immigration laws that were actually in place in the late 19th century and early 20th century. Yeah, they largely had a pretty easy time actually entering the country compared to the immigration laws we have in place today. And again, I want to bring up that stat one more time before we head to the phone lines. The percentage of the population today in the United States that is immigrants, 14%. And again, going back to the late 19th century, early 20th century, it was largely the same, hovering between about 15 and 16%. 952-946-6205-952-946-6205. Got Randy in St. Cloud who wants to chime on in. Hi there, Randy. Hey, thanks. Uh, I just wanted to point out one uh, kind of key point. Um, so we invaded, or well, no, we, we went to help Iraq. And, Supposedly, yes. <laughs> yeah, and we so we helped them. And, and what were we doing? We Oh, that's right. We were bringing them democracy, freedom and democracy, because the people who attacked us weren't in Iraq, but that doesn't matter, and they hated our freedom, so we went to Iraq. And don't forget, and, they were part of 9-11 as well, supposedly. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they weren't, but that, oh, God. Yeah, we're, we're talking so, very sarcastically, by the way. So, yeah, we didn't turn into right-wingers here. <laughs> so complicated that we can't, you know, we just know they were brown, so we went there. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, so we brought them freedom and democracy, and the Iraqi uh legislature just voted to tell America to get out of their country. And our democratically elected leader said, yeah, yeah, right, up yours. We're going to give you the worst sanctions. You're, oh, you're not going to believe the sanctions. You try to kick us out of your country. Oh, and he said too. Well, we're going if we'll we'll leave if you pay us for a war that you started. He basically wanted uh, Iraq <laughs> to pay for the costs of us being there, even though we went there in the first place. By the way, they did not invite us there. No, no, we weren't invited, but we came there be to to help them because mm -hmm. they were just. I mean, we just needed to help, just like we've helped in Venezuela, and we helped in Bolivia, we helped in. Honduras, we helped in, we've helped all over the world helping people, and they just don't seem to appreciate it. And well, we're really a very starting, generous country, aren't we? It's really starting to piss me off that they don't appreciate it. They better <laughs> get to some appreciation, mm -hmm. or we're going to, we got drones, you know. We got a lot of drones. 
That's right. If you don't want a drone, send Donald Trump a thank you card. Well, not just Trump, really. Any leadership among Republicans or even Democrats. Hey, thanks so much for the call there, Randy. Do appreciate it. Because, yeah, you, you can't just include Trump on that, as even Mark was kind of bringing up. Uh, the Obama administration, unfortunately, has been part of that policy. The Bush administration, obviously, even when you go back to the Clinton and the Bush one and the Reagan administrations. Yeah, we've been doing nation building for a long, long time. And that's even well documented our very poor attempts at nation building in the Afghanistan papers. If you haven't checked it out, again, do recommend doing that. It was not as long of a read as I thought it was. As long as you're not going into that supplemental information, there's probably some uh, interesting stuff there, but it would uh, be pretty time-consuming. But overall, the Washington Post does do a nice job kind of summarizing uh, what they uh, were able to uncover when they were able to get the uh, – oh, I'm blanking on the, the name of the agency that uh, was conducting – what was basically kind of an audit of what went wrong in Afghanistan. That's largely where the Washington Post got a lot of their information for the Afghanistan papers. Either way, just Google Afghanistan papers and read it in the Washington Post. Looks like we got Gary in Minneapolis who wants to chime on in here before we head to break. Hi there, Gary. What's on your mind today? I I just want to talk about these people that complain about people have the Mexican flag and they speak Spanish and it's how terrible it is. I remember back when I was a kid here in Minneapolis, uh, fluent Swedish speakers, older older immigrants, and they they could hardly speak any English. Some of them, and they would speak Swedish. And you go down to New Orleans, Minnesota, that was fluent German down there. And my folks grew up around there, and they said they they were have German on the radio and everything back in the forties or thirties, whatever. So. Uh, it's just like it, it just it takes a while to melt in with the mean with your language and everything when you come here and I get tired of these people complaining about speaking Spanish and all that. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks for the call there, yeah. Gary. Do appreciate it and. A point Gary's bringing up there, how sometimes people get angry about the fact that when immigrants come to this country, they don't speak English. It is a fair point. I can understand that frustration when you have someone new move into your community and you're not able to communicate with them because they don't actually speak your language. But think of it from someone new who actually has moved to the country that's either an immigrant or a refugee. Do you think they prefer not to speak English and not to be able to get a job and not be able to communicate with others in the community? Of course not. It's the case that they're probably kind of nervous to try to well, for lack of a better way of putting it, assimilate in society or to have a way to actually learn the English language. I would actually think if we were to set up some sort of program around some of these areas that say, oh, yeah, we don't want any any immigrants and we don't want any any asylum speakers in, or any asylum seekers in our country. If you were to actually put together some sort of program where you can teach them to speak English, I think that would actually go a long way towards changing the view of immigrants in this country if they if you actually gave them the opportunity to learn how to actually speak English, I think that would actually go a long way towards tearing down some of these uh some of these barriers that we have. 952 952-946-6205. All right, coming up during the last segment, I do have to get to a couple of these local stories involving some Congress people here in Minnesota, as well as the census. We're going to talk more about that on our final segment up next here on the 4 O'Clock Show. Auto Technical needs your help to keep our transportation program going. Social agencies like Workforce Training Center, Tubman Shelter, they rely on our mission of providing transportation to families in need. Donations of vehicles are down 80% because of the new tax laws. We really need vehicle donations to continue our mission. Help us, please. Give a call to Richard at 612-919-5526, autotechnical.org. This is Chad, owner of AM950. Our station has worked with Barbara from WYSIWYG Web Design for years on everything from logo to print design and especially for developing our website. She does great work and is great to work with listening to what our goals and design ideas were while offering new, innovative ideas to create the website we are proud of today. Barbara made sure she understood our station, our goals, and our mission before she started working on our site and made suggestions to help control the cost. Plus, she's friendly, which set us at ease. 
I recommend Barbara at WYSIWYG Web Design because I know she will deliver an attractive, professional website within the budget you have. She is a local independent business that specializes in helping other local businesses achieve their website and design goals. She can work with nearly any budget and create anything from simple sites to robust custom functionality. To find out more about the company AM950 Trust, go to WYSIWYGWebDesign.com. Spelled out just like it sounds, WYSIWYGWebDesign.com. Visit the wine bar at Cafe Latte and enjoy a unique handcrafted pizza and glass of wine. The perfect place for an intimate night or an evening with friends. Choices range from spicy Italian sausage and sweet roasted peppers to the one-of-a-kind nacho chicken pizza layered with blue corn tortilla chips. The approachable wine list offers over 30 by the glass with special emphasis on wines from Washington State. End your night with one of Cafe Latte's melt-in-your-mouth desserts, 850 Grand Avenue, St. Paul. Connections Radio Show is all about tapping into our hardwired hunger to connect. We examine meaningful connections to ourselves, our community, and the world around us by opening the door to innovative insights by a wide variety of interesting guests. We'll make the connections to something bigger than ourselves. Join me, Lori Fitz, your host of Connections Radio Show, and together we'll make the connections. Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Located just north of 50th in France, the Great Wall Restaurant has provided a delicious taste of authentic Chinese cuisine since 1981. Specializing in Sichuan and Peking dishes, they offer one of the most extensive menus in the Twin Cities. Favorites include hot and sour soup, pan-fried dumplings, and mushu pork with homemade Chinese pancakes. Stop by their Edina location or call for takeout at 952-927-4439. See the full menu at greatwallrestaurant.us. Back on AM 950, final segment of the show. We have been foreign policy heavy, but do have a couple of local stories to bring up before we wrap up the program and send things over to Robert Pilot for the Pilot's Progressive Party. So the census, well, the news actually not looking so good. Originally, the EDS was projecting that Minnesota would either lose a seat by have by 27,000 people or be able to keep it by about 26,000. Unfortunately, projections have been changed to the fact that we're either on the low end going to lose the seat by about 6,700 people or on the high end by about 22,000. So probably going to be goodbye to Colin Peterson because I don't think there's any chance he would run in a 7th district that would become even more Republican, which would likely happen should Minnesota go from eight to seven congressional districts. Speaking of our Congress people, got to talk about Dan Fian. He is the Democratic challenger to Jim Hagedorn down in Minnesota one. And Fian has actually brought in some pretty shocking campaign fundraising numbers. Seven hundred eighty five thousand dollars raised during the past few months, which is actually more than the incumbent Jim Hagedorn. You do not often see that happen where the challenger actually outraises the incumbent. So maybe Fian actually does have a chance to knock off Hagedorn coming up here in the fall of 2020. And one more final note, Kendall Qualls, not sure if he's going to be quite happy about this endorsement, but the Kendall Qualls campaign, by the way, Kendall is running in CD3 against Dean Phillips. He has the endorsement of everyone's favorite former congressperson, Eric Paulson. That might actually end up backfiring against him. All right, that's all the time we have for the program today. Again, stay tuned. we got Pilot's Progressive Party coming up next here on AM 950.